welcome to this episode of Star Wars Generations. I am the resident grumpy old fogey, Matthew, they, them pronouns. Hi, I'm Erin, the youngest of the crowd, she, her pronouns. And hey, I'm Alex. Uh, I guess I'm the middle child here. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. There we go. Well, today we are going back into my childhood. We are talking about A New Hope, the movie that started it all. Episode four, but first in our hearts, first in the American League. Uh, No, wait, that's the Nationals. Anyway, uh, last in the American League. No one gets that joke. The point being, we are talking about Star Wars A New Hope. We're often going to do plot summaries, but for this one, I think most of you, if you listen to this podcast, have probably seen it. If not, pause, go watch it, make all your comments, come on back. Let's just start, folks, by we're going to try and have a little bit of a framework as we talk about these things instead of just us babbling incoherently about what we like and don't like. So we're always just going to start out by how did we feel going into this movie? Because I think some of us may have watched it recently, some of us may, may be a while since we watched it. Aaron, starting with you, kind of what was your thoughts as you sat down to watch this movie? Ugh. Okay, so I started watching it yesterday as I was getting ready. I had a, um event called the Boba Fetish Ball. I was performing on Aerial Silks, uh, so I was getting ready to see 3PO. And I kind of watched the first half, but I was, like, doing my makeup, so I didn't really watch it. And then I was like, no, I need to watch this <laughs> film. So mm-hmm. I got up early today after I got home at 3 a.m., um mm-hmm. and just watched it through and I was sitting there and I just like <sighs> the Lucasfilm kind of logo shows and the music comes in I was like yes and then my dad came downstairs and I kept just saying like pausing it I'd be like this is such a good film like this is just mm-hmm. such a good film like <laughs> it's a beginning a middle and end and it's all good the characters are amazing like the special effects well not special effects the practical effects hold up like it's just yeah, it's a timeless film. It's a classic. Yeah. Alex, what about you? How'd you feel uh, going into it? And I guess we're also doing, how'd you, what'd you yeah, pick up on the rewatch? Um, <laughs> so uh, I think I had mentioned on the previous episode that I am a frequent rewatcher of the movies. Um, so mm-hmm. I think the last time I watched it was probably like two months ago. Um, but I kind of went into it with a little extra excitement because I wasn't just going to watch it. I was going to like take notes and like really pay attention to like little details more so than I think I have in a while like I tend to since I've Mm -hmm. watched the movie so many times I really just go in like oh I've seen it I can like you know kind of check in and out and I'll still know exactly what's going on but this time I was like no I need to pay laser course attention so I can have have a conversation about it and and it made me just reappreciate every aspect of the movie and just the, the genius behind this being you know so revolutionary at the time and and it just got me super excited I don't know (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Yeah, it's always funny for me when I sit down to analyze something that I've mostly just loved, and I I had that same kind of feeling. I had to kind of stop myself from just getting lost in the, like, oh, my God, uh, and uh, really think about it. But, I think yeah, sitting back down, I think I had some nervousness because, again, I'm always curious what folks of, like, different, you know, who experience the movies in different ways than I have think about it. But I know we had just done our rankings, and so I had a good idea where you all were coming from. And I think mostly what I was struck by in this rewatch was – how many of the details of this movie have been filled in by the prequels and Mm -hmm. by some of the novels and how some of them really work and really add to the story and some of them really don't and kind of like uh, feel like glaring plot holes now that I'll maybe talk about a little now or a little bit uh, at other times. But yeah, it just, it, yeah, it it is still probably, it is my favorite Star Wars movie and it's just, there was was just so much to, to sink into. And, 
it isn't just going to be a love fest, though. We're going to talk about things that we love, things that we didn't love. We're going to kind of go in order with some different uh, ways of looking at it. And one of the things that we're going to start with, actually, that Alex suggested is hot takes. So I'm going to throw out a hot take. That's uh, one of the things that I will be a little bit, yeah, like, it's not critical of, but but it's one of those things that when you think about it more, which is that this is my favorite space battle in Star Wars, perhaps my favorite space battle everywhere, anywhere. And yet it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, the trench run is an amazing visual, but there's no reason why they couldn't just fly straight at a 90 no. degree angle right at that exhaust port. None whatsoever. Um, the whole thing of like, there's one spaceship ahead and then there's others behind and the t TIE fighters behind them. And the ones behind keep saying like, you know, like, I don't know how much longer I can hold them. You're literally doing nothing but being target practice. That is exactly what my dad said as I watched it. He's like, what do you mean hold them? You don't even have rear deflectors. What are they doing? Nothing. Like, all you're doing is providing an alternate target, uh, which is useful in the sort of like, you know, have three friends to go shark hunting because as long as you're the fastest, you're okay. Yikes. Um, but like, to me, it's very much one of those like, when you really think about it, it makes no sense whatsoever. But it's to me that the, the a good movie is one where you get me so enraptured in the moment that I don't think about that. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of superhero movies or space battle movies or whatever where it's not quite grabbing me enough that I think about those things in the moment. I've never sat and thought about them in the moment, but definitely that I think so. That's my hot take: is that it's a great space battle, but it makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> So valid. Alex, yours? Um, yeah, I, I was actually kind of struggling with my hot take. I'm the only one suggested this this uh, section of the thing. But I, I think that the thing that, like, kind of gets me the most about this movie, and it, I, this might be a hot take, I don't know, but it, it's, it feels like it might be the least emotional Star Wars movie that exists. And what I mean by that is... We ha we you know you see Aunt Brew and Uncle Owen die. You see Alderaan get blown up. You see you know bit you know Biggs die up in in, in the sky. You see all, all these death, all this awful. Not a single tear is shed. No one mourns. Leia doesn't even look that upset when Alderaan gets blown up. Luke just kind of looks at the skeletons of his aunt and uncle and then oh just go, "All right, old man, <laughs> come with you." Like no no thought, no no mourning. Um, you know, one of Luke's best friends is killed right behind him in the trench run. No emotion before or after. Just immediate celebration. R2 shot to hell. Luke's just like, ah, he'll be fine. Immediately goes to, like, party. And, and like, I feel like in the other Star Wars movies, they, they, they give a moment at least to breathe, to mourn, to, like, have it. And it felt like, you know, this movie, there's so many sad things that happen, but I don't feel the emotion as much as I feel like I should. And so I feel like Luke has kind of failed on that. That's my so take. So one thing I think that can be hard to understand is that this movie is made in a long ago time before emo. When people could subtly express emotions and people could recognize that. Yikes. <laughs> oh, Bro, sorry, it is a hot really take because I've upset Matthew. <laughs> yeah, you succeeded. It, it, it's, no, I, I think it's interesting. And especially because I would say, like I, like, I think part of what I don't like about so much the prequels is it feels very overacted and over-emotive. And, yeah. and I, so I, I think this is just an interesting, like, because to me, you're saying that I'm like, there's so much pain 
on on Leia's fate. Like I was like amazed at Carrie Fisher's reactions to Alderaan. It's subtle, but it's there. And and the way um, you know Luke has to like take a moment to collect himself after Biggs is killed, and then be able to keep flying. And so yeah, I'm I'm not doubting that take at all. I just think it's interesting because to me, I would say very much the opposite. Like this is the one where I think I. I cry so many times when watching this movie. Yeah, I, do. I I get what you're saying. I just if my entire family and all of my friends were killed in one shot, I think I'd react a little stronger than a brief facial expression that Leia had. And I just I did it. I, I don't I don't buy into it. I don't buy into the the pain, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know. I I am of the age where I, you know I like to be super emotive. Maybe it's just because I'm a cancer. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I. I don't know, like in the prequels, like you said, I mean, there's a lot more overt emotion. Um, and even in the sequels, there's a lot more overt emotion. And I just felt like with, with the amount of genocide going on in this film, there's <laughs> no reaction to it. In, 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 or at least it, the reactions are so subtle that they feel misplaced in a way. I don't know. Aaron, do you, do you agree with I, anything? I see both sides of this. Because, like, I agree watching it, especially, like, when I was younger, none of the deaths, like, hit me, hit me. Because when you're younger, I feel like when you don't understand things very well, it's you rely more on, like, understanding other people's reactions to the event. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, Matthew, like you're both saying, the reactions aren't huge. They're very subtle. Um, and I think you could argue either way, especially for Leia's reaction, because this is a 19-year-old senator who has now withstood Darth Vader's, like, torture and interrogations for a day or two, however long it, that period of time is. She's got it on lock. Like, she can shut that yeah. shit down. And, like, she needs to look strong, so she's gonna be strong. And then when she gets to Dantooine and... Some captain runs up and is like, oh, my gosh, I heard about Alderaan. Like, I'm so glad you're safe. And she says, like, no time for mourning. Like, we got to go. And so in that case, I see it as someone who's now kind of shutting down and focusing on the goal rather than being overwhelmed by their emotions. Like, she's kind of pushing it down. Yeah. I so. I think I see – I definitely see that. And especially – like, there is a meme that went around about the scene where she is confronting Luke where it's like – yeah, my entire planet just got destroyed, but the guy yep. you knew for 36 hours got killed. Let's yep. focus on your pain. And I agree with that. And uh, to be clear, Alex, my, my point wasn't to make fun of your... Uh, no, no, you know, I know. Uh, like, I, I think that... To me, I think it's just, it's, it's just... I don't think that the movie makers were trying to say, like, oh, they're, we're, we're, we are intentionally damping down the emotion they're feeling, except for the point that Aaron, you're talking about, I think it's just a very different style of movie making where I think like that was considered a very emotive, like, you know, how angry Luke gets and kind of losing control of himself when he's been this meek, mild mannered guy when Obi-Wan is killed. You know, I think there's a lot of things that show a lot of emotion. It's just not in the ways we're used to today. Yeah. The last thing I just want to say on that, I think, I think what, what makes it, it's made it harder for me over the years to buy into it actually is the fact that we've hashed out, Anakin as such an emotional person, and you also see Padme as being super emotional, um, both in the Clone Wars. Well, Padme is more put together than Anakin is by a mile, of course, but they both emote very openly, I feel like, throughout the Clone Wars and the prequels, and I know they weren't raised by them, but like their children just being so stone cold just feels more distant to me, I guess, is the more I connect with the Skywalker yeah. family. I don't know. That's fair. No, it's cool. I, I, I just don't like with Leia. I, I see it, and I think that what Aaron says is in. I just don't see Luke as stone cold at all. But I, but I tell you what you're no, saying. That's fair. Aaron, what's your hot take? 
Yeah, so my hot take, maybe it's not that hot, but I truly do believe that C-3PO may be the most emotional person in Star Wars. Like, he do be a droid, yes. But every 30 seconds, where's R2? Is R2 okay? R2, you better come back. I'm going to be so bored without you. I need someone to yell at. Oh my god, R2, is he going to leave? Is he going to live? Somebody save him. Like, I just think it's so sweet. They just are life partners in my eyes. <laughs> but then three people also just R two and three were also just shitting on each other constantly. Yep, constant attacks. Don't you dare call me a what, 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 a mindless philosopher, you. Bucket <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> of bucket so of bullets, what, Yeah. First of all, totally agree. And as someone with anxiety, uh, I think many of us uh, uh, identify very strongly with C three PO because you're yeah. saying that I was like, is anxiety an emotion? I guess it is. <laughs> yes. Um. You're, but also. Uh, during the break, uh, during the, the strike, when I was looking for like Star Wars related content that wasn't struck, so I looked to a lot of uh, foreign media, uh, non-American and non, I should say non-Hollywood, uh, one of the things I watched was a movie called The Hidden Fortress, which is, um, it's a samurai movie from the 1950s, Japanese made, uh, that is, um, was said to be very strongly influ- influential on Lucas in the making of this movie. And the art, like, Two of the main, the main kind of like not heroes of the movie, but the people through whom like the 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 kind of the protagonists of the movie are these two ne'er do well villagers whose town gets attacked and they run away, and then while running away they argue over what direction they should go and they decide to split up, but then they both get captured by the same people and meet each other back in the prison that they've been captured like almost shot for shot of the, yeah. OB, of the C-3PO R2 stuff. And there's a lot of the ways the movie connects. It was just, that was a really fun thing to see. That is cool. Um, what do we love about this movie? Alex, what calls to you? You want me to go first? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I think what I love about this movie is honestly, um, every time I watch it, I'm just impressed and blown away by the, the ingenuity of it all. Um, mm-hmm. so because I'm like a, I'm also a photographer, I'm an ultra film nerd as well. I, I've done a lot of research in the past on how they actually made this movie and, um, a couple little, little fun tidbits for y'all of it. You guys might know, or y'all might know, but I'm not sure if our, if our crowd will know, if our listeners will know, but, um, in order to like film the space battles, Lucas had to basically employ people to build an entire new camera and camera rig to, he mm-hmm. wanted to match the feel of like actual footage from world war ii that was taken in like planes and that wasn't possible at the time and so he they had to literally invent new cameras new technology and like star wars almost failed so many times so many people wanted to put fox wanted to pull funding a million times over and yet Mm -hmm. during all of the hardships of funding and no support uh being made fun of lucas just kept on chugging along and and making these technological advancements and created this absolute masterpiece of a movie that every time i watch i'm like the fact that this was made in 1977 is mind-boggling to me because you look at other space movies from the from the era they're nowhere near the the level of complex and not i mean not only just technologically but story-wise to because it was easy for it would have been easy for lucas to really fall um, on just, I'm gonna make this a super technical and cool looking movie, but he didn't do that. Like he made it cool and, and amazing, but he also like really laser focused on the story and 
and you know, and I know that I, I, I still believe that Revenge of the Sith is the most complete story, but I, I also recognize that this is probably right next to it is the most complete story in Star Wars because like Matthew said last time, it was the only one they made where they didn't know if there was ever going to be another one. Like there's a very clear middle, beginning, end, a beautiful arc. Um, and I think that like it, it's it's done, the storytelling is done in such a successful way because you're really just from the beginning thrown into the middle of it and you have no idea what's going on and you're just kind of forced to, to piece it together as you go along. And and for me, that's just such a, a compelling way of telling a narrative. Um, so I think that as I watched it, you know, I was just lost in the narrative as I always am, but I was really paying attention to a lot of the, the technical feats that I just, to this day, cannot believe that a bunch of people pulled off in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Growing up, my mother always used to rate, rant about how this movie should have won the Oscar for Best Picture, in part because have. of that. Because, like, like you know, the movie that won instead, Annie Hall, w- was a really good movie, but was like, you know, it was people talking in rooms. And, like, that had been done a million times before. This was just so innovative and different. Can I say um, one more quick thing, Matthew? Yeah. I, I have a visceral hatred and refuse to watch Annie Hall because of the fact that it stole the Oscar <laughs> for Best Picture from A New Hope because it won, uh, Star Wars won like everything else. And then it turns out that uh, Woody Allen, the guy who made – Woody Allen, right? The guy who made Annie Hall yeah, is a creep and an awful freaking human yeah. being. And it makes me just visually hate it even more. And I'm just like, yeah, Star Wars should have won. It was so revolutionary above anything else. But the Academy is stupid apparently. Very okay, much I'm so. Done. Very much so. Uh, yeah, and I – growing up as a Jew uh, – Growing up as uh, growing up in New York City with Jewish family, I was kind of contractually obligated to watch a lot of Woody Allen films, and I do enjoy quite a lot of them. But of course, feel very differently about him now that uh, we know what we know. Getting back though to this movie, for me, what I think I really loved watching it this time was the dialogue, and some of the dialogue in this movie feels a little like affected. Sounds like a negative word, and I don't mean it that way, but it's a little like. They're really writing the hell out of it in ways that I don't see in a lot of the other movies, and I think of lines like. Um, and I'm thinking of lines like, don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Yeah. The ability to destroy a planet or even a whole, the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the force. And um, most Eisley spaceport, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Mm-hmm. We must be cautious. There are just like so many like incredible lines like that. that I think yeah. if someone said to me just in normal day, I'd be like, what, what are you on? But they work <laughs> so well in this movie. And it just... I, I don't think we get much of that in some of the other movies, and maybe that's actually better because it's a little over the top, perhaps. But I just, from Vader and Obi Wan especially, it just feels so good. Even with Tarkin and Leia, there, there, there's an interaction when they first see each other, and she's like, "Governor Tarkin, I should have known, or I, I think I smelled your foul stench when I got on board." And like, it's it's such mm-hmm. like a petty conversation, and like the back and forth, you know. You don't know how much it hurt me to have to sign your execution order. And it's just like, it's just, it feels like very refined, but like verbal sparring. I totally get what you're, what you're going for there. Yeah, very much so. Very you kind of so. just said what I was going to say, but yeah, it's like, it's literally like a dance. It's like fencing. Yes. Like they're mm-hmm. battling through words and it's so beautiful. Like the um, two lines you mentioned, Matthew, like, yeah, they sound odd. It's not something any of us would probably ever say, but those are fire lines. Like, that is stuff yeah. that goes down in history, that lives in my mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, Very I much just so. love it. And especially with the – because here's one of the things where, like, other media has really helped me. Part of, I think, that fencing match is that from Leia's perspective, 
she can get away with this. And this is like, if you watch Star Wars Rebels, really underlines it because there, there's a couple times where she shows up and it's very clear that like she can, as long as she's not openly, outwardly supporting the rebellion, she can get away with almost anything because she has senatorial privilege and princess privilege. Like, you know, <laughs> she has that like diplomatic immunity. And one of the things I love about this movie is kind of like watching her think she has that and then it's taken away from her. And that's, I think, a big part of her journey in this. That's very true, yeah. Yeah. Erin, what about you? What's something you loved? Uh, I think, and I mean, I think we'll get into this more later, but for me, it's just the core three. Yeah. Like, I just love the introduction to Luke. Like, ugh. It's just Wookiee Erasure. That shot. What'd you? (laughs) He said it's Wookiee Erasure. This is Wookiee Erasure, core three. I'm so sorry. Android Erasure, honestly. Okay, wow. the, the How humanist of you. How humanist one of person, you. One person gives medals, two people get medals. That's the core three. <laughs> yeah, why did Chewie not get a medal, actually? I actually have a story. I can answer that. Do you want me to answer it now or do you want to finish your bit first? Um, I mean, yeah, I didn't have too much to say. I wrote in my notes just like, Carrie's presence and her tone of voice I mm-hmm. can't quite remember if that's exactly what her speaking tone is or if she lowered it a little bit, but it is so fucking powerful. Yeah. Like, that is a 19-year-old full-grown woman on the screen who is sitting there standing up to Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin with no bra. Like, she is ready to fight. And even though mm-hmm. the no bra is creepy Lucas, um, you know, it's kind of like a woman empowerment moment these days. Because I'm like, okay, girl, go off. Fight these battles. And you're comfortable. <laughs> and, like, this is true even now. And I'll, I'll be the first to say, like, you know, Star Wars has not always been great about having enough women characters. Uh, mm-hmm. Recently we're starting to fix that. But particularly for 1977, to have the damsel in distress character actually help in her own rescue and, like, back talk the people who are trying to rescue her and tell mm-hmm. them how stupid they were and she has to take over like that was not what was normal yeah. um and yeah so i think that that to me is another thing i, I really love yeah, i love you pointing that out i agree oh yeah, so to answer your question, the Aaron, question so they, they've actually written like a backstory to kind of fill that in and basically like in wookie culture they don't care about medals like it's just not mm-hmm. like something like they don't need actual trophies of any kind that are like metallic they don't mean anything like all you know, for Wookiees, it's just about honor and about, you know, I did this and, you know, thank you for honoring me, et cetera. And, and the reason that Maz gives the medal back to Chewie, and that's a powerful moment in the sequels, is not because he didn't get a medal in the first place, but because it was Han's medal that Leia held on to all that time after he died. And so it was like, this is a lasting memory of your best friend. Like, that is why it's an emotional moment. It's not because, like, he didn't get a medal. I mean, sure, like, that can kind of count, but, like, Medals don't mean anything to Wookiees. It's a sentimental vibe behind it being Hans that makes that impactful in the sequels. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, I mean, and it does fill in with what we know about Wookiees, that they wouldn't be a materialistic people. Exactly. Like, yeah. they live in the trees. They, you know, ball out on Kashyyyk, but they don't really have mm-hmm. much for possessions that we've ever seen. So that makes sense. And, that, and I'm like, sure, from the a only practical reason... standpoint, they didn't want the seven-foot-tall... <laughs> um, Peter Mayhew to have to kneel down yeah. in his Wookiee costume to have the the medal placed upon his giant hairy neck. So, Good yeah, point. I, I was gonna say that that that's what you're talking about is a great tradition that we'll talk about a lot. Where they definitely didn't do that in the movie for that reason, but they created a reason later. Oh, dude, know? Star Wars. Yeah. 
My like over, not hot take, my overall take on all of Star Wars is they are the masters, the masters at filling in plot holes later. Oh yeah. At backfilling? Some, oh my god. The backfilling that goes on. Sometimes well one and line. sometimes not. You fought in the Clone Wars an entire ten year show to fill in one line of dialogue from a new hope. Like they are the masters. Mm-hmm. Literally. I love nothing more than hearing what like Matthew, what did you think the Clone Wars was? When you heard that, are you imagining a bunch of clones fighting each other? Are you imagining like what do you what do you see in your head? <sighs> <laughs> so, this is going to get into the thing that I didn't love rewatching the movie, and it, it's something that where look at that. And, and again, I don't know if this is a, a critique of the. It, to me, this isn't a critique of the movie. This is where I think, like like you said, I I think they're the masters at it in that they do it all the time. I don't think they do it very well. And I do think that this movie establishes a number of things that I think the prequels then kind of shat all over, which I don't love. Be- certainly because to me, the Clone Wars, when I heard that phrase, what I thought of was like a 30 or 40 year period of time during which lots of different people were using clones and there was all sorts of different wars happening. And it was like just... You know, kind of like like the the Hundred Years War, like you know, yeah. like all you know, it like this epic period of time. Um, certainly, I did not think of the clones as like going to be on the good guys' side, um, and all that kind of thing. Um, but that isn't really the one that bothers me as much as one of the things that I think this movie really establishes, and this is one of the well, we'll, get, we'll talk about this more when we talk about the prequels. But one of my another one of my favorite lines is the the person talking to Vader. About, like, you know, your sad devotion to that ancient religion hasn't given you the fortitude to conjure up the stolen data tapes. Great dialogue. But according to the Clone Wars, every man in that room would have served alongside the Jedi during the Clone Wars, which were 19 years ago. So sad devotion to an ancient religion. Like, to me, I think the impression this movie always gave me was that, like, the hunting down of the Je- of the Jedi had begun generations ago, and been a lot. And like Anakin was one of the last ones who was finally like you know wiped out by Vader or something like that. And it's you know it's not. There's a lot of these little things, and, and, and similar like you know, when we last met, I was but the student. Now I now I am the master. To me, Kenobi like there was. N- We'll talk about when we talk about Kenobi, but that line also, I'm like, oh, why didn't you honor that line? And I know the reasons why we can say, oh, it's from a certain point of view, that fight, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think that there's just, I'm generally very negative on prequels in general because I think it's often very hard to fill that kind of stuff in. And I do think the prequels do mostly a good job. But yeah, that was the one, for me, it's always the hard part watching this movie is like, I... I think The Clone Wars is a fantastic show. I think a lot of the prequels is fantastic. I think they told really great stories. I think they don't really line up with what was set up in this movie. That's well, valid. To, to your point, Matthew, just want a quick note. I think it's interesting. The, the thing that kind of bothers me is, overall in Star Wars is they pick and choose what they want to adhere to. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it personally, and we can talk about this when we talk about Kenobi, it, that, that one line, it doesn't bother me because I, I see it from that other point of view. But... Like, in episode three, there's one offhand joke on the bridge where Anakin's, like, Anakin and Grievous first meet each other, and he's, you know, I expected you to be taller, I expected you to be, you know, and it's, like, it's such a throwaway dumb joke. And because of that one line, Anakin and Grievous have no interactions in the entire Clone Wars show, and that could have been such a cool, like, 
interactions to have throughout that show, but just to keep that one line preserved, yet they're okay throwing away lines from the originals. That is why they never meet Aaron, because of that one throwaway I line. I never knew that. I knew, yeah, okay, but I just never because actually... and the, on the bridge, he goes, Anakin Skywalker, I assume someone with your reputation would be a bit older, General Grievous. You're shorter than I expected. That line prevented any interaction in the Clone Wars. Yet they're willing to throw away all these other lines in the original. So it's just, it's annoying they pick and choose. I never realized that because Ahsoka fights Grievous. Ahsoka and Obi-Wan. It's Obi-Wan and Grievous are the foil. Like they fight all the time. Anakin will fight Ventress. He'll fight Dooku. He will never fight Grievous. He'll never even see Grievous. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Um,. The, the one other little thing like that that I'll mention, and I'm going to critique one of my absolute favorite movies here, like, the collection of people around that table is so good. You are in. Partic- particularly the one that is so, like, you know, oh, this, this Death Star is the most powerful thing in the universe. I wish, even if they had had to recast him, I wish that person had showed up in Rogue One. Yeah. Because that is so about just Krennic, and then it's like, where do all these other people suddenly come from? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the only thing. What my, about you all? What, what, my, ahead. like, things that I didn't love or honestly just – I have, like, a list of just little little things that I've never really noticed before, but just little little but kind of major plot holes in my mind. Like, one of the mm-hmm. big ones is that no one seems to freaking remember R2. Ben has bought this – Ben bought the same droid twice. Obi-Wan, I don't seem to remember owning a droid. You fought with R2 through a war. You know Anakin's droid. Like, no one seems to remember R2-D2 for some, for some reason – and it's just, also, it's just silly R4? to me. Also, like, is, isn't even though the R4? certain point of view book kind of discussed it a bit, C-3PO and R2-D2 go completely opposite directions, yet they happen to be caught by the same, you know, by the same Jawa crew that brings them to the same people. There's just a lot of very convenient, um, convenient things. Um, I also wrote down here, hold on, where was it? Um, something that actually... It's weird to me, and I'm curious what your take on this, Matthew, is, especially since you love this movie so much. When the famous line, you know, these are not the drawers you're looking for, Obi-Wan's using the mind trick on one stormtrooper, but then everyone around him just goes with it. Is yep. he using, do we think he's using a mass mind trick? Or the, uh, uh, my, my head cannon, the other stormtroopers are just like these, like, 20-year-old guys who are like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I don't less paperwork for me. Like it just it feels silly to me. Like at a kid, I was like, that's such a badass line. And as an adult, yeah. I'm like, you tricked one guy, but there's five other troopers around. Yep. How is no one intervening here? I uh, what's your take I, I on had that? The, I had the exact same thing. I my head cannon for it is that like he is speaking quietly enough that no one else hears or sees this uh stormtrooper. And so when the stormtrooper repeats the lines, all the other troops are just listening to that one stormtrooper. Oh, mm. they're not the droids we're looking for. Okay, we're fine. Mm, mm. But the way it's shot, it doesn't make any sense. Right, yeah. right. Um, Real quick, yes. Matthew, you're right. Obi-Wan's astromech is R4. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's, I, I, and again, like, I, I, you know, I remember when that came out, there was all the, you know, poor R4, you know, like. Yeah. Um, it gets forgotten. I, just a few more little little things that bothered me real quick. Um. Vader getting knocked away at the end of the movie is maybe the silliest thing in all of, all of Star Wars. I, I, the Millennium Falcon comes out of freaking nowhere, and then the one TIE fighter just bonks the wing, and he flips <laughs> out of the deep trench into space and just keeps spinning, and that's how Vader escapes. 
not just like keeps a, spinning even after the Death Star. Right, closed. the Death Star's gone, going. and all you see Vader do no comment on the on the whole Death Star being blown up. He just goes. Like, I'm picturing my head Anakin looking confused as hell in a, in a little ship, but I'm like, you know, you know, he's described as the best starfight starfighter pilot in the galaxy. We know how talented Anakin is as a pilot. Like, it would have made more sense for like you know him to try evade or something, but like. It just felt so silly to have him just get bonked out of the way, and that's how Vader survived that whole encounter. Um, the- I will say, I actually wrote down something that I liked about that same thing, is that I liked that Vader was out there in a TIE fighter. Oh, me too. Whereas oh, me too. Tarkin yeah. is like, let me chill on the bridge. Haha, I don't need an escape shuttle. Like, yeah. the only reason Vader lives is because he leads by example. Mm-hmm. Which also, so- maybe he's overconfident and cocky tangent but that gets into a great question that i have about this movie if you can think about just this movie nothing that comes out who is the primary antagonist is it vader or tarkin oh god because i think it's tarkin i think it's so before tarkin we too, know there's an emperor i think that the assumption is that tarkin is like the leader because he gives the energy of like i am the master of this ship of this death star and he even he even like commands Vader of like you know yeah. Vader release him and Leia goes Tarkin I should have known you were holding Vader's leash like it, it gives mm-hmm. the energy of Tarkin being the big bad, which I think makes his death even more shocking to people in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no I think it's like to me I think it very much is that Tarkin is the big bad and Vader was supposed to Vader is like you know the antagonist's like you know attack dog. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And who just then goes – I think – so I think that when people think about this movie, they think of it being Vader as the main big bad. But I think we forget just Tarkin is a phenomenal villain. Like, I agree. Peter Cushing I think is so good in this role and he clearly hated it. I think he wanted nothing to do with future movies. Um, him and Alec Guinness apparently would talk about like being on the British stage doing Shakespeare and like how the hell did we come to this. Um, yeah. But uh, – also apparently his shoes were too tight yes somehow so he wound up like um like being barefoot was why no, no, no. he wore feet. he wore pink slippers that's it yes, he hated you. wearing the military boots because they were too tight in his feet you're right matthew so he wore slippers so go if you go on google later and look up photos of peter cushing like during the filming of this movie he like is dressed like everyone else then he's in shorts and pink slippers at his feet um, <laughs> i love it I if, if I, may, I have a few more quick little notes, and I, I, I will yield the floor, I promise. Uh, I, I think that something else that kind of bothered me, uh, well, I'll just mention the CGI edition, obviously, is just terrible. It just ruins, especially in Mos Eisley, above all else, like, it just ruins that the feel of that scene so much. Like, so much. And just is so, it, like, and it's especially distracting, like, when they pull up to the Stormtroopers for that whole, which is not the George you're looking for, like, moment. And the giant CGI lizard creature moves in front of the camera. I'm like, bro, what are we doing here? Um, Like, I get Lucas wanted to, like, bring it into the 20th, first century or whatever, but he just did it poorly. Um, I also... I just fast forward through the Jabba scene. It's the worst. I'm going to write a lot about... I have a lot to say about how awful that is when we get to that movie. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Um... Oh, the Jabba scene. Oh, you're, I'm sorry. I thought you meant the, the palace scene in episode six. You mean just Jabba in general not being a human anymore and him stepping on Jabba's tail? No, I, I, I just mean the Jabba scene. Jabba the Hutt does not show up in A New Hope. Like, yeah. Right. He's not Well, they filmed enough. him yeah. as a human Han originally. shoots first. Yeah. Do you know that, Aaron? So, that, so initially Jabba was a human, like just a fat human. And that's <laughs> why when Han walks behind him, 
like he they have to like make it to be stepping on Jabba's tail. Originally he was just walking behind him and he says, "Jabba, you're a beautiful human being." Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just and and it also it was I mean, cut it from the original movie and they put it back in there with the CGI slug. It was it was dumb. Um two or two or three more quick things. Insulting Vader so openly, I feel like no one would do that. Like Throughout the movies, Vader's feared so intensely, and then this one guy on the bridge there just starts roasting Vader. That felt, like, very, like, I don't know, unbelievable to me. And I think that for the movie at the time, it makes total sense. Like, I think that actually someone – really interestingly, someone – I read a take one time about this that, like, um, for those who kind of know a little bit about world history, Rasputin was, like, this, like, wizard guy in Russia during the Tsars mm-hmm. and, like – he wasn't actually a wizard, but he had this weird, creepy aura to him. And I feel like that's what Vader kind of was. It's this weird mystic guy to all of these people. And then as the more movies were made and the story progresses, he becomes this more evil, villainous being that is more feared. But I just don't think they found exactly what they wanted Vader to be in that movie yet. And it kind of throws me off because they changed what they wanted him to be just one movie later. Yeah, I guess to me it's... That's where I think that strong idea of the Force being this, like, ancient thing. Mm-hmm. That it's like, you know, people have read hundreds of years ago about the Jedi, and here's this one guy who, you know, again, remember, there's no word, the Sith was a word that didn't exist yet, mm-hmm. like, is a dark Jedi or whatever you want to call it. So I think to me that in that context it works, but yeah, with everything else that we now know, it, it doesn't hold up. Also, they have Han say a really sexist line in the movie I never picked up on before, and it really annoyed me. He, he said, after they get out of the trash compactor, he says, all right, now if we can avoid any more female advice, we can get we can get moving here. Mm. And I was like, making him a scoundrel, I get it, like it kind of feeds into the scoundrel thing, but I was like, didn't, I, I never really heard him say something that outwardly sexist, I felt like, and I was like, mm, could have done without that, personally. Yeah. Um, you could just say, I don't want her advice anymore, without yeah, being exactly, so general, exactly. be at least a lot less sexist. Um, yeah. And the last thing that I'll mention is, it's just bothered me ever since I was a kid. The stormtroopers are looking for the droids while Obi-Wan and Luke are in the cantina. And they knock on a door. This one's locked. Move along. Move on. I'm sorry. If if law enforcement in the entire world just said, door's locked. That's it. We're done. Move on to the next thing. I, I, what kind of – what? 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 Like, it's just such a – that makes no sense to me in that context of like, you know – and then, like, two seconds later, they open the door and leave. And I just mm-hmm. – it's so unbelievable to me in that moment. And I'm like, I, I don't know. So it's just it, – to me, it's nothing – the actual movie as a whole, there's nothing I actively really dislike about it. It's just that there's so many little things that feel so silly to me. And the, I get it as Star Wars fans. We've kind of just accepted those as quirks that, like, make us love the movies more. And I, and I do mm-hmm. love it for that. But if I'm looking at it with a critical eye, I'm like, George, come on, brother. Like, what are we doing yeah. here? And I think it's helpful to point them out because, again, like, I think we both love the movie. But, like, I do think, like, as much as I am a defender of the originals and a lover of the originals, there are people who will be like, oh, look at all this silly stuff about Ray and, like, how Ray could do all this stuff. Not like the original movies. Like, dude, Obi-Wan trains Luke for, what, six hours? <laughs> if that. And then he's able to be this, like – and, yes, he's supposed to be a decent pilot, but, like, he's able to, like, use the Force to do this impossible thing. Like – if there's any such thing as a Mary Sue or a Gary Stu, it is Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, and, like, and all the just – like, there are silly things in all these movies. So, yeah, no, I think it's good to point out. Uh, Aaron, what didn't work for you? 
Yeah, I mean, overall, like, I kind of love this movie. Most of what you guys have said I agree with, you know, like, mm-hmm. just the little things of, like, okay, there's a ton of stormtroopers. Why do you all just go with what the one said? Or, like, that, dro- that door is not locked. Like, it's not. Yeah. You can get it opened. Um, How about stormtroopers? Only stormtroopers are so precise. Oh, my God, yeah. Of course. <laughs> that but one sends thing- me. Yeah, it's a good laugh. Um, one thing that kind of, and you touched on it with like, why does nobody remember R2? Why does C3PO not remember R2? Oh, no. Or the, Tatooine. The, like, no, the, there's a, the, in episode three, they, they literally say, like, they have the protocol of memory droid yeah. wiped. Because okay. 3PO can talk and everyone can understand him versus R2, not everyone can understand him, I think. Yeah, he right. speaks binary. Now, that why R2 doesn't remember all this is something we'll be discussing more in our bonus section because the uh, uh, story in, uh, from a certain point of view is going to get into that because that also raises some questions. But again, that's more an episode three thing. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really have much else. The Jabba scene is painful. It just is. I wish it wasn't there. I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess the complaint, why is it remastered? Why can we not have the original version on Disney Plus? Not everyone has a VHS player. Like, ugh. So, I love the original, original trench scene. But wow, it's bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Have you, have you, the unremastered one where, like, you can see the TIE fighters, like, jerking in air as, like, the people pulling their strings are moving them. Yeah. And it's like they had one model of one X-Wing that breaks apart in the exact same way. And every oh, yeah. single shot of an X-Wing explosion breaks apart. Like, I do think they improved something. Like, I had a sort of, like, that's my dumb space battle and I love it about those things. The trench like, one, I was okay. Like, the CGI isn't, like, it isn't as noticeable, like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's noticeable in a positive way. It's not as noticeable in, like, a distracting way. I think this, I think where CGI really messes up in A New Hope is mostly in... Moss Eisley and around the yeah. cantina scene. Like, there's just yeah. it's just unnecessary and distracting additions. Yeah, it's the yeah. animals. Yeah. Ma- mainly. Yeah. Also, did you all notice, I noticed this for the first time, that there are seatbelts around the Dejaric table on the Millennium Falcon. I, I, Wait, I never I've noticed that. that. And then they sit down and Obi-Wan puts on this big-ass seatbelt. And I was like, that is so silly. That is so silly. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a good giggle. That's funny. I do yeah. like it. I do like I it. I did love the crate dragon skeleton just seeing that and being like that's where it came from like i kind i had known that at some point but i kind of forgot about it and when i saw it again i was like it's a crate dragon which nobody knew for another 40 years or 30 years or however long there's a yep. a star wars fan who is like salvaged pieces of that and then sells them and i have a little tiny piece of the original <gasps> crate dragon prop right that- here is amazing. All right, we'll Alex, take a picture so of that cool. and include it in the show notes or link to it because that is phenomenal. I love that. Love it. Um, so how do we feel this fits into the kind of overall Star Wars story? And I think I, I've always said some things about this in terms of like my frustrations that the Clone Wars kind of doesn't really line up with it. Um, mm-hmm. but what what? Are, but I do think like there's a lot of things that it that it really does pay homage to. Uh, what do you all think about how it fits into the larger Star Wars story? Aaron, you go. I've been talking a lot, I feel like. Um, I mean, that's what podcasts are for, first of all. Um, what did you say? That's what podcasts are for. They're okay, for talking. I can, I can keep talking if you want, or I can let you go. I You go. Uh, okay. I need a moment to collect my thoughts. 
Okay, yeah, I, I, my ADHD is just go, go, go. Um, so I would say for me, I actually think it fits pretty well overall. Like I said, there are little weird mm-hmm. fluctuations. Um, I think that what's interesting about it is it sets a lot of, because it's the first one, it sets a lot of precedence that they try to stick with for a while, but then they also like diverge from. Mm-hmm. Um, like one thing I I, I noticed um, that I don't know if anyone's ever really talked about before, or someone has, but do you ever really notice that Obi Wan is the only Jedi who actually wills himself into the Force? Like Yoda dies and fades into the Force. Every Jedi we see that fades into the Force dies. They have been killed. They are dead. Then they fade. Obi Wan, before the lightsaber even make contact with him, wills himself to die and fade into the Force. Mm-hmm. And disappear. And dis- that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, like all one, one, two, and like maybe he's just that powerful. But it's just it's just interesting. Like, um, like that. That's like a kind of like they they took that concept and they like kind of retooled it. And that's what it feels like mm-hmm. to me is like a a microcosm for the movie as a whole. Was a lot of the concepts were laid down, like the Clone Wars becoming one with the Force. You know, lightsaber training. You know, different Force powers. What Vader's role is in all of this, and then took all of that and then just kind of retooled them to fit the, the narrative in a more uniform way. Because again, mm-hmm. when Lucas made this, he wasn't sure like, well, is this movie going to be a one-off? Am I ever going to get funded again? Like, is this just it? And so I think he tried to just kind of go with his gut and I, and I get that. But then, so I think that like it fits kind of like a puzzle piece that like fits where it's supposed to fit, but it wasn't cut perfectly. So you kind of have to wiggle it and jam it in there for it to actually Push down into the puzzle, um, which again, and we'll talk about it later. But to me, to me, it's why I think I I think Revenge of the Sith feels more complete to me, Matthew, is because they've done all the retooling, they have all of the retools, and now they're like kind of trying to just fit all of it together. Um, and I'm not taking anything away from A New Hope. I think A New Hope, no, it's fair. Like it, it sets all of this precedent, and like the fact that it did that is is an incredible feat. Um, yeah. But I think that like. We spend so much of the following content trying to link everything back to this movie that they that things naturally have to be tweaked or changed, and that makes it hard yeah. for it to quick technically fit when it is the like, it's it's the string that everything else branches off of, and you're trying to connect everything back to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a go ahead. Anna. I was just gonna say I think that's another great example of like Star Wars explaining itself in the past, because like. Yeah, that doesn't really make a ton of sense. He's the only one to ever do that. Um, but then with kind of the context of Kenobi, where he spent 19 years in a cave alone with the ghost of Qui-Gon. Nine, well, he's, he's spent ten, 10 years before he got to the show, right? Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Well, no, no, because I'm saying, like, even after the show. After oh, okay. The Kenobi show, like. Well, he's he not in the cave anymore. Remember, he left cave. the cave and got his little hut. Yeah, I, 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 we're getting very deep into. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a Kenobi defender, too hard to the death. So <laughs> he, I get very protective of my boy. He's in the hut by himself for a long time, okay. and yes. Qui Gon is with him for part of that time. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> yeah. No, I just feel like that's like a subtle possibility of an explanation of like, oh yeah, yeah. like, but also yeah, Yoda had a very similar experience of being alone. So maybe that's me just I, looking for explanations. I guess for me. And, and I think this is just a different perspective, and neither one is right or wrong. Like, I agree with you that it doesn't fit, and that the later movies do more to try and make it all fit, and, like, the, like, 
even like in the Clone Wars where like Yoda explains that like or no, no it's actually in the um, prequel somewhere that like Yoda explains that Qui-Gon can come back and, and all this kind of stuff. I, for me, though, I don't want to see the Dungeons and Dragons rules that explain how the magic works. Like I like there to be mysticism and mystery and I think if there's one overall flaw that Star Wars has is that I think sometimes it tries to explain too much of exactly what how things work. Um, and to me, the midichlorians is the absolute worst example of this. But I'd say in the same way, like, I don't want to know what the rules are of how a being fades into the Force. That should just be mystical and magical. And, like, I like trying to have it all make exact sense doesn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Um so I very much hear what you're saying. I think that that it they didn't do the best job of making it all happen the same way. Um, I think it's just a just a stylistic difference of do you want it all to fit or do you want it to like I, I would rather that it just happened in a couple different ways and no one ever explained it in any way. It was just like it's the force. Had ooh, you know that kind of thing. That makes sense. Maybe not with that sound effect, but <laughs> well, that's exactly what Obi Wan does to scare away the Sand People. Ooh. <laughs> I thought he makes the noise of a crate dragon. What? That's what he's supposed to do, yeah. He's supposed to be mimicking the noise of a crate dragon. That's that's he's mimicking their the Tuscan's only natural predator enemy in the t- desert. That makes sense. Yeah. I just see it as goofy little wizard man. But yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Um Favorite characters or moments? Aaron, you go first. Um, you said a lot about Leia already so that's a big thing yeah that was my one okay that was Leia Um, love her and her characterizations (laughs) also like I in the past I feel like I've had kind of the view of like yeah Mark Hamill not a great actor like it takes him some time and training to kick into it you know they had four years between this Mm -hmm. and the Empire Strikes Back but this time through, I paid a little more attention, and I was like, he's not a bad actor, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I do believe a lot of this. And, like, the subtle emotions, like, yeah, he's not necessarily – it's not an Oscar-winning performance, but it's believable. And I feel like it sets up his story pretty well in a way that I haven't recognized in the past. Mm-hmm. So I liked kind of re-seeing that. Um, otherwise, I don't – I don't know if I have, like, favorite character characters, really, but I just love the cantina in Mos Eisley. Like, as a Clone Wars nerd and as someone who is all about, like, species, like, I love to just look through Wikipedia and just learn as many different species as I can and what their traits are, like, Cad Bane species, like, every bounty hunter or random character, I'm going to look up the species. Like, Mm -hmm. I during the Mos Eisley cantina scene, there's a tall there. It's T-A-L, Talls maybe, T-A-L-Z, mm-hmm. and they're featured in um, the first season, second season of The Clone Wars, as this planet, first season I think, yeah, as this planet, and it's when we first, it's on Pantora's moon, basically. Mm-hmm. Or right. wait, no, Pantora is a moon for the planet that the Talls are a native of. And so the Pantorans, since they're a sentient species, are trying to do this, blah, blah, blah. And they're talking about no one's ever seen these, like, warrior creatures before. Like, look at all this destruction they've caused. And just to see that they made that whole plot line, this whole incredible species, from that one 
crazy little alien that they made or just yeah i just mm-hmm. love seeing all the different species and how they tie back to the clone wars and things like that and they do that a lot like you look at all of those species in that, in yeah. that cantina and they have they like hashed out entire stories for them in the clone wars i feel like a yeah. lot of the plans in the clone wars were yeah. based on you know different costume designs that were just made like, ima- like imagine like you know you're some costume designer in 1977 they're like make some weird alien looking thing and then they have an entire storyline 40 years later to describe what that thing is. Yeah. yeah. It, it is something that my mother used to talk about a lot because it, she had grown up with a lot of science fiction. She'd watched a lot of Star Trek when it was on in the 60s as an adult and then other science fiction. And she would talk about how, like, until Star Wars, most aliens just had, like, weird ears and um, different colored skin. And it, strange alien customs where the women didn't wear many clothing. Um, those were the ways you showed, you know, who was alien and stuff. And this was just having so many, like, clearly non-anthropomorphic or, you know, very different than humanoid species was just awesome. And I, just in terms of, the, like, the way that they, like, keep building on them decades later, there's the one who looks a lot like a hammerhead shark. And I knew him because I had his toy. And in his toy that I bought in, like, 1983, or that was given to me, uh, I was five, uh, was called the Hammerhead. <laughs> and then much, much later, they go into the species, who I believe is pronounced Ithorians. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, in some of the books, they talk about how people refer to them as hammerheads, but that's a real slur. And, like, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be referred. And I just thought that was just such a brilliant little, like, how do we acknowledge that we called them that, yep. but also, like, build this culture that, of course, that's not what they're called. It's like, no, people would call them that because that's what they look like, but that's racist. Don't call them that. Yeah. I just love it. I love Ithorians. They're such a cool species in the way that they have, like, this isn't really expanded on in the movies or films that I know of, but they have, like, three sets of lungs or something like that, and Mm -hmm. they can, like, cause temporary deafness by roaring. And that's why they all have a voice modulator, because their natural, like, voice and language is so destructive to human ears. That's interesting. Yeah. I love that. I also like the, one thing I want to say about the canteen is that I like to imagine that at some point in his 20 years of exile, Hondo Onaka just stumbled into yes. that cantina and Obi-Wan was there and they had a drink together in that quick, quietly in one of the little booths in that cantina. And I, I, that's just a head cannon. I have no proof. I, doubt, I, I don't think anyone's ever said that happened, but I'm just going to believe that mm-hmm. happened in my heart. Yeah. I like it. I love it. Oh, real quick. I think I remembered where it's from, actually. So the 2003 Star Wars 2D micro series. It's when Shock T and a bunch of other Jedi are yes. trying to get Palpatine away from the attack on Coruscant, and one of the Jedi is an Athorian, and he blows a bunch of droids and almost Grievous away with his giant lungs. <laughs> nice. Dude, that micro series is so. We should do an episode on that. We. Will. I know that. Um. Also, in the Darth Bane books, which are Legends canon, but but still have a lot of good things about them, as long as you, as I said, don't like women characters written well. Um. Mm-hmm. But they. Um. Uh, it's really bad, <laughs> but uh, there's an Athorian Jedi in that, and part of the idea is that no one can pronounce their name because you can only pronounce their name if you have two different throats. That That's what it is. It's the throats. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alex, what up for you? What are some of your like favorite moments or characters or? <sighs> yeah, it's it's a it's a good question. I I think that like character wise, I mean, even though I I. Uh... I, I love Ewan McGregor more because I grew up with him as my Obi-Wan. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is my favorite Jedi. Um, and so, and probably probably my favorite character in Star Wars, either him or Anakin. But 
Um, Obi-Wan is just, even just, like, Alec Guinness' performance is incredible, even though he didn't want to be there. Um, and I love, I've always just, I think, I, I am very drawn to the whole, like, old master character. That's why I love Yoda, and even in other mediums and, and films and stories, like, and, and, and just in that one story to, like, have this, this old man who has so much mystery behind him then die without revealing any of the mystery it like almost drives me crazy but it like makes me want more it makes me like it sucks me in because i know eventually i'll get answers um and then from a from a villain standpoint i i, I mean tarkin i really love tarkin and he's one of the characters that i am really pleased that we got to get hashed out more in mm-hmm. the tarkin book which i'm actually reading right now for the first time um clone wars and rebels um like they really hash out tarkin's character and how just cold meticulous calculating he is in the thrawn books even i mean like he is just such a cool villain um and 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 peter cushing obviously does him perfectly and i think that he's probably one of my my favorite antagonists of all of star wars and doesn't get enough screen time agreed i one of my favorite clone wars arcs that we'll get into is when he spends time with anakin Mm -hmm. and like you can see anakin slowly starting to like emerge because like the two of them are both like oh, all the senatorial bureaucracy if we just had one strong person in charge you know it's just like oof. dude the clone wars um, really said mortis arc citadel arc like go off the back-to-back yeah. arcs there were like peak clone wars oh really yeah was. really was um yeah there's so much and and, and to be clear like i i love what you had to say Le- leia i would just help and reference that like have many of these answers for sure um and mostly yeah, i love the, the cantina scene to me is so good the um the way so many of these things get referenced um all the stuff about tarkin that you said like vader obviously becomes this incredibly important character and i love vader in this but but tarkin is just so menacing i think for me i really really loved the dynamic between luke and han and it's a dynamic that i think of like you know fresh innocent farm boy and um you know grizzled grizzled old you know cynic and it's a very classical one and it's one that this movie didn't invent and this and many more have done it since um but it just it just works so well for me and you once mentioned uh alex asking if you know i have this very strong connection to luke i don't really i don't think i really connected to luke until last jedi like i admired him but i could never relate to him but i very much could always relate to han um, especially in terms of being like, I, I've always had friends who were just not had superpowers, but were just incredibly talented. And I always felt like I was the person who was, if I worked really hard, I could come kind of close to them. And Han is, you know, very smart and very cunning and, and good at his job, but he's not a Jedi and he's cynical about things. And I just, I just love him so much because of that. Uh, I also just want to say on the Mark Hamill acting. Yes. I, I think Mark Hamill grew out to be a much better actor like I said, I, I think I think I think he does fine in this. I think he portrays like you know the 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 anger when when Obi Wan is killed and kind of losing himself, and I think he portrays the kind of like spoiled kid, spoiled whiny kid. Um, but I just want to go get some power converters. Like that one line is <laughs> yeah. is nails on chalkboard. I will fully admit that. And I know other people will sometimes say like when they defend. Anakin in Attack of the Clones of, like, he is doing an accurate portrayal of a whiny teenager. That may be true. I don't want to spend time. When I was a whiny teenager, I tried to spend my time around adults because I didn't like myself and I didn't like anyone else. (laughs) Uh, I don't find whiny teenagers pleasant to be around. And so, yeah, so, like, 
Yeah, but I, 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 thought, I thought Mark Hamill was fine, but clearly Mark Hamill's acting chops, I think most, like, I think he does a good job portraying, and I think he's fantastic Return of the Jedi, but if you're going to give me, like, Mark, Mark Hamill's most iconic role is probably Luke Skywalker, the Joker. Mark Hamill's best acting roles, I don't think Luke Skywalker's in the top five. Yeah. What I'm saying about Mark Hamill, that you know, I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a slight defense of, of of Mark here in that I think that oh I thought I was defending him, but okay, go ahead. Watch. Well, I'll, well, I'll, I'll give an extra defense then. My, 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 what I'm going to say is that I feel like, you know, unlike Leia, who was raised in his royal house and raised to be refined and like you know, and she comes off as being like sharp as attack. Mm-hmm. Luke was raised on a moisture evaporating farm, a moisture farm in the middle of a desert, basically, and by two farmers. And he didn't have any experience with the outside world. And I feel like you see that, like, just kind of lost, confused teenager who has dreams in that movie. And then you see him grow really, like, like the acting grows as the character grows. And to me, it makes sense. And I think I really actually appreciate that. And mm-hmm. I think that... What for me, he really takes off in his acting, um, on on Dagobah in Episode Five because like mm-hmm. without getting into detail because we will discuss it, but like he went into you know those scenes by himself with a puppet. Like Frank Oz was there, but you couldn't see him, so it's just Mark Hamill talking to a puppet, and he had to act like that for weeks on end. And I feel like that really like that was the moment that he like kind of went from like a a mm-hmm. fine actor to like all right, th- this is Luke Skywalker right here. I will point out that you are now committing the crime that you accused Aaron of, of droid erasure, because there was ah! a electronic box sitting next to Mark Hamill. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, do, I do mostly agree with you there. You're right. R2 did beep a little bit. You're right. <laughs> I, uh, all right. on that kind of, just real quick, yeah, I played this Star Wars mobile game called Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. And they have a bunch of different versions of each character, right? And so one of the first characters you get when you start the game is Farm Boy Luke. And he's kind of a shitty character, not that effective, really. (laughs) But you need to gear him up in order to get, like, Commander Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. And so just seeing them so differently separated, in my mind, it's just like, oh, yeah, well, that's Farm Boy Luke. Like, Farm Boy Luke is a baby boy. Like, he's a little man with no ability to handle things. I feel like he throws little temper tantrums like at the start of the movie and then like grows out of it. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> he grows That's out. the way I kind of see it. Yeah. So there's so much more we can say about this movie, obviously so much more that we probably will reference it in future discussions, but I want to start wrapping up with your kind of last thoughts. I'm just gonna say my last thought. It's You guys talked about how like there were some movies your parents wanted you to watch or wanted you to wait until you watched, um, which, it's always funny to me because my parents were probably too permissive, but I could just watch anything whenever I wanted. Um, that's a whole other story about my psyche and trauma. But, like, I forget sometimes. I think, again, because, Aaron, like you said, like, you watch it too young to realize things are supposed to bother you. This is a gruesome movie. Like, there is a severed arm that our hero dismembered someone, and, like, you see the severed arm on the floor. And, like... When you get back to see, like, Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen dead, like, they're burning corpses, skeletons, where, like, most of their flesh has already burned off, mm-hmm. is sitting there. And then you see, like, dead Jawas being just, like, dumped onto a fire. Like That was something I've never noticed before. 
right? I, I think it was the kind of, I think if I'd watched this movie when I was like seven, I would have been either like, ah, or like, that's metal. But like, <laughs> because I just watched it as a kid so often, I never noticed it. And then like, I remember one time when I like watched it again, probably when I was like in my twenties and I was like, oh, that's a burning skeleton corpse right there. That's, that's a, that's a little brutal. Did you know that the original Star Wars had a G rating until they included that scene? Yeah. The skeletons? Yeah. It wasn't in the very, very original cut, and then they added it, and so it could no longer be G. It had to be PG. Yeah. Wow. Um, back, w- back when you could have a G movie that wasn't a Disney animated movie. Yeah. Uh, so in my final thoughts, I want to just offer two things. I didn't really find a, a space to just mention. Um, one is that well, I guess I probably should have mentioned this in the, in the noticed it portion, but in, in the cantina, I don't know if you'll ever notice this, but he hate the, the bartender obviously hates droids and like kicks them out. Do you ever notice that behind the behind the bar, there are IG heads or what's holding the liquid? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Like he hates droids, so it's like it's like a hunter's bar. He's using the heads of the droid to hold the liquid. And I thought that was like a really cool detail of like I hate droids so much, I'm using them as like a utensil here, and so. I think my final thoughts related to that are there's so many little details in this movie. Even Sometimes I'll just pause in the cantina or I'll pause in Obi-Wan's hut and just look around the whole frame at like little details and things that I didn't notice in the past. And that's what I really love about Star Wars as a whole. And I think this movie really embodies that of like there's so much lore and so much background at every – in depth to every character and every scene that you really get to explore um, – you know, more, no matter how many times you've seen the movie, which I really appreciate. Um, and the very last thing I want to end with, because there was no other point for me to mention this, but I think it's very cool, is, and we can shoot, put photos of this in the show notes, but this is basically a replica of Luke's lightsaber, correct? Yeah. This was based off, and this whole prop was made from the flash tube of old speed graphic cameras. So that's what this <gasps> is. And so nice. they took this, and they just slapped on a few extra pieces, and that's how they made the first lightsaber. And as a photographer, I think that's super cool that they took a, a, a flash tube with, you know, from a photo yep. uh, photo item. I don't know what to describe it as. A professional um, photographer right here, guys. What do you say? Yeah, a photographer. A, a, a photo item, uh, an accessory, an accessory, and then turned it into the beginning of the greatest weapon in cinematic history. I do love that. I do. Love- I love that you think that, like, you can hold up a particular lightsaber and I'll identify it as Luke's. Like, that's just not the kind of fan I am. I don't, that's what? not the detail I pay attention to. Sorry, um, Anakin's lightsaber. Yeah, I was going to say. It's an- Well, it's Anakin to Luke to uh, to Ray. I, I, I think you're proving my point for me. Um, but <laughs> yes. I Just though on the subject of the, like, weird things that get used, after Protocol Droids and Astromex, easily my favorite droid, is the Gronk droid, which we get introduced to in this movie, made out of trash cans. Yep. Yes. Which I love. Which I love. So, Aaron, what are your final thoughts to wrap us up? John Williams. Oh, yeah. How do we he not even get into that? slayed this entire film. Like, oh, my God. From the opening mm-hmm. goosebumps to the closing, mind-blowing, like, trill of music. Just, like... I had written down several musical points, like Vader's first entrance coming through the smoke, and it's not quite the Imperial March that plays, or like, it doesn't start as the Imperial March, there's like some other little mysterious Mm -hmm. thing that they do for him that I just loved, and then also 
when Ben Kenobi takes his hood off and it goes like, Boo-doo-doo. like it was just a perfect. Mm-hmm. The mu- the music just furthers the storytelling so much, and I think as years go on, like of course composers are incredible and that's like still a thing but just something about Mm -hmm. this particularly is just so good it's funny we were talking before about like what holds up and what doesn't and what they've paid homage to and the music is like there are i i don't think there is a single star wars property like maybe individual episodes but if you take like look through every episode of a season look through every movie etc where there isn't at least one sound cue or one like you know little theme of music that isn't straight from this particular movie, because there are just so many themes, and then also from the other two of the originals. But the fact that they just keep you know the Force music, the Empire music, mm-hmm. Vader's theme, you know, there are all of these themes that are set up, and then and then more in the next two that we just keep going back to and back to. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, some of my absolute favorite moments from Star Wars are when like you know, will be in a story 30 years later or 30 years beforehand that will just, you know, just that one little strip of music will be like, ah, okay, yeah, here's where you're saying that Ahsoka's a Jedi because you're playing the Force music or Rey is a Jedi because this music's playing, you know, and it's just, it's just so perfect. I, yeah, music, I feel like I have an entire episode on how, on John Williams and the music and how it really ties everything together. I mean, like you said, even in the Clone Wars, the, you hear the faint background of like the Imperial March around Anakin sometimes when he's doing something really dark. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, connecting the sequels to the original is when, like, you know, when you have a moment with Yoda coming back in The Last Jedi and, and you hear that, that same music you heard when Yoda inspires Luke on Dagobah. And it just, it really links everything together in such a, a beautiful way. And it makes me so happy that, that John got to do the music and the original scores for all nine movies. And, um, Rightfully so, is considered one of the greatest composers of of all time, not just for Star yeah. Wars, but for his breadth of work. But thank you for bringing him up, Aaron, because he is such an integral part. Like Star Wars would not be stars without John Williams. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm embarrassed I didn't mention it. So yeah, I am also embarrassed I'm here, guys, to embarrass yeah. you. <laughs> all right, well, Aaron, with that, if you we can find more things of you embarrassing your elders, uh, where. Um... <laughs> I promise I'll stop making fun of Aaron's age and and her making fun of my age, but you know it's we're the generation podcast. I make no promises. There we go. Okay, Aaron, <laughs> where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm a cosplayer. I do a lot of cosplay things under Lady Tano Creates, both on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, yeah, you'll find videos of me making progress, backsliding on my projects. You know the ups and downs. Occasionally, I do TikTok sounds too. Um, in cosplay but and then Instagram is just I'm a lot more active on there like on my stories and stuff just with upcoming things I do a lot of polls because I'm horrible at decision making so I'm like I've recently decided I want to start cosplaying Mystique from X-Men and I was like guys should I do body paint or a bodysuit? and everyone's like body paint and I was like you all hate me but thank you and Aaron's also going to be cosplaying Shin soon Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I'm in the process of making a Shin cosplay. Aaron does so, look just like Shin, basically, so. Yes, yes. Thank you. Very true, um, very true. Yeah, that was kind of long-winded. But yeah, Lady Tunnel Creates, come check me out. Awesome. Alex? Mr. Corman. Uh, yeah, you can find – so I'm a photographer, a photojournalist, and when I'm not podcasting. Um, so you can find me um, on Instagram at alexcorman12. That's K-O-R-M-A-N-N. 
uh, the number 12. And also my website, if you want to look more at my photography, is uh, alexcormanphoto.com. It's a whole mix of stuff. It's mostly, you know, again, I'm a photojournalist, but I do everything, including some cons. I've done photos of Erin and her cosplay, and I'll do more in the future, hopefully. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome, awesome. And of course, I am The Ethical Panda. Uh, you can find me at theethicalpanda.com is where you can find all the different podcasts that we do here. Uh, but also, I'm very proud to announce that we're now starting to build social media for um, uh, Star Wars Generations. By the time this gets launched, all of them will be up and going. But I know we have our Twitter account is, uh, if you search for Star Wars Generations, you should find it. But it is, I think, officially at SW Generations. Our Instagram is SW Generations Pop. We have yep. decided it's SW Generations Pod or Star Wars Generations Pod, but we will have decided by the time it's uh, live, so you can look in the show notes and find it. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be setting up a Gmail uh, so that you can send us emails uh, and all that kind of stuff. All that will be in the show notes. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your notes and, and your thoughts. Of course, members get to hear our uh, bonus content where we're going through the book um, uh, from a certain point of view. We'll also do other things occasionally in the member content, but for $5 a month, you get access to that. You get access to uh, ad-free content, and you certainly, more more than anything, get to help support us. Uh, you know, it's it help us keep the lights on, help us keep bringing you great content. So on behalf of myself, Aaron, and Alex, if you are not sticking around to the uh, member content, thank you, much for li- thank you so much for listening. We have spoken. Stay classy, Tatooine. May the force be with you. And also with you. Aaron just changes Thank every you. time. I can't think of a good one. I, th- I think so that's I just, your bit, is you say something completely different every time. I'm okay with that. <laughs>